Y'all ready to get started? <laughs> get everybody in, we'll shut those doors. And I want to thank you for coming out on a rainy night to uh, 12 Messianic Prophecies, session number four, Daniel chapter nine. I can tell you this is going to be a good one, okay? These 12 prophecies are not enlisted in, I say number four. That doesn't mean there's only four between Genesis and Daniel. It just means it's the fourth one that, that uh, Dr. David Reagan had in his magazine. He listed them. I thought it was intriguing, so I grabbed the 12 and did a study. So um, they're not ranked in any kind of importance, but they are at an attempt to be chronological, okay? And I'm going to tell you all something up front. Here we go. If you're watching online, if you're here tonight, you need the outline. Um, this will be the hardest, deepest one of the 12. I'm going to tell you up front. You better be glad you've got a piece of paper in front of you. You'll figure that out here in a minute. It is deep. It is hard. It, 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 it will be the most difficult to teach. But it will also probably has the potential to be the most rewarding because when you get it, you get it. It's giant. So I'm going to pray and uh, we'll get started. Father, thank you for your word, the power and the authority of your word. And I pray tonight for your Holy Spirit to reveal your word, open our minds to understand uh, what uh, maybe has never been understood um, by some before tonight. And the power of knowing the details that you have put in Daniel chapter 9. So, Lord, direct us by your Holy Spirit for the glory of your own name, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, do you believe in uh, the Bible is absolute truth? If, if, if you're struggling with that, then you probably struggle here at this church. Uh, I kind of get that, so I'm okay. I, I still ask you to keep coming because I think we'll win you over eventually. I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this planet. It is powerful. It is supernatural. No one can explain the power of it or even comprehend the scope of it. It is that powerful. Um, is there any physical evidence that the Bible is truth? Here's where we're going tonight. You ask a lot of people about that question. Is there any physical evidence that the Bible is true? They'd say, nah, not really. Well, let's see about that. I have often told people, maybe you've heard me say it here at church before, I can prove the Bible is true with one word. You might not accept it as truth, but I could prove the Bible is true with evidence. With evidence, physical evidence, not just theological, spiritual evidence, physical evidence. Israel. I can prove the Bible is true by just showing you what God said about Israel and what has happened to Israel in our generation. What are the mathematical odds of a nation uh, or people hated and dispersed all over the world and then they would regather and form a nation after 2,000 years of absence? How could that happen? 2,000 years gone, and then they're back. Not only form a nation, but become a world power. Just like the Bible predicted, prophesied many years ago. So I could prove to you with physical evidence that the Bible is true by showing you Israel past, present, and future. Messianic prophecy number four tonight deals with the prophecy of Daniel, written more than 500 years before the time of Christ. Daniel chapter 9 is one of the few places, listen, this is why it's so powerful. It's one of the few places in the scripture where God ties himself down to a specific and measurable number, countdown. It's specific. I'm going to use materials that I preached in a sermon. Uh, I, I can tell you the date. I preached it on April 26th of 2020. Uh, you know how many people were in the room that day? Zero. Me. It was during that eight-week shutdown from when COVID went nuts. And 
Uh, I had already written and been preparing something, so I preached it. Maybe you watched it online. It was called then The Countdown. And I want to give credit. I had read a book. I, one of the uh, research materials that I used in that study was from Ray Stedman, a book that he had called On the Way to the Future. So I'd use that as research material. And I preached that April uh, 26th, 2020. So I'm going to use some of that tonight. And you've got handouts that are going to be very important for you to stay up with me tonight, okay? Do you know about the countdown of Daniel 9. It was written down 25, for us, 2,500 years ago. There was a countdown. Daniel 9 was written more than 500 years before the birth of Christ, but gives incredible detail of his coming and an exact countdown to Messiah's arrival. If this is Messianic prophecy class, this is perhaps one of the greatest messianic prophecies because of its detail. Daniel writes this messianic prophecy while he's living in exile in Babylon. Do you understand that? He is one of the original, when Nebuchadnezzar came twice, the first time he comes and kind of sacks Jerusalem, takes the king, takes the nobles, takes Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, takes them to Babylon, they become slaves in Babylon. When Daniel writes chapter 9, when he writes Daniel... He's, he's a slave in a foreign land, okay? You know the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. While he is in exile, God revealed the exact time in which the coming Messiah would present himself to the Jewish people. Now, I smile when I say that. So, here they are. They're not even a nation. They've been decimated. They've been overrun by the Babylonians. They're gone, okay? They're gone. They've been carried off to another land. In the other land, in, the, in, in their exile, God is going to reveal to Daniel an exact timetable countdown to when the Messiah will come. How could an exiled people even imagine this prophecy being fulfilled? How far out would it be that you're a slave in Iraq, you used to live in Jerusalem, you're a slave in Iraq, and now, and now what? Some vision from an angel says Messiah's coming, I'll tell you when. How hard would it be to believe that? Their nation had fallen, Jerusalem's temple had been destroyed when Daniel gets this vision. The nation's gone. The temple's gone. How could it possibly recover? Do you remember how I said I could prove the Bible is true with one word, Israel? Well, Daniel, like all the Jews living in, in Babylon, longed for Jerusalem. He wanted to go home. Well, they all wanted to go home because they understood the Abrahamic covenant. The Abraham covenant wasn't just about a people. It was about a people in the land that the God would give to the people. So Daniel, um, he prays. He, his prayers are constantly, while he's in a slave in Babylon, he prays for Jerusalem, the return of Jerusalem. So Daniel chapter 9 begins with Daniel acknowledging the authority of Scripture. Now, this is important to start with. In, in Daniel 9, he acknowledges the authority of Scripture as prophesied by Jeremiah. They're contemporaries. They're around the same, same time frame. So uh, Jeremiah's probably a little ahead of him. So they're contemporaries. Jeremiah has written what we know as the book of Jeremiah, and Daniel has read it. And he reads it as authoritative, as truth, which does what to you and I? It reveals the truth and the power of the Scripture. When Daniel reads the teaching of Jer the writing of Jeremiah and acknowledges it as truth. So let me start with verse 1, chapter 9. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of, uh, yeah, that guy, Ahasuerus. 
who became king of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord. Now, what's he called Jeremiah's writings? The word of the Lord. Why? Because Jeremiah just wrote it. He got it from God. Okay? I was reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. Now, everybody, hold on a minute. You've got to understand a key that unlocks the rest of this. Daniel reads from Jeremiah that the land, Jerusalem, must lie desolate for 70 years. Why? Why 70 years? If you go back and study from the time of King David to the time of the Babylonian exile to the time of Daniel, there's about 490 years. When up to the time of David, they were obeying the Jewish law. And the Jewish law about the land was every, you could plant and harvest crops every six years, for six years. But on the seventh year, what'd you have to do? It's a Sabbath. It gave the land a Sabbath. So you would harvest, plant and harvest six years. On the seventh year, uh, you, would, you would let the land lay fallow. You wouldn't plant and you wouldn't harvest. Well, for 490 years, from King David to the Babylonian exile, guess what they didn't do? They didn't let the land rest the seventh year for 490 years. So how many years did it not go fallow that it was supposed to be fallow? Seventy. How long are they going to be in exile? Seventy. What's going to happen in Israel while they're in Babylon? The land will lay fallow. There's a key. So God said, you can do it the easy way and you can do it the hard way. I'd recommend doing it the easy way. Do what I tell you. Because in the end, he allowed their land to rest for 70 years while he moved them away. But at the end of the 70 years, he brings them back. Now, God uses that kind of event several times. I'll give you one more example. You remember when Moses sends the spies over into the promised land? And they spend 40 days spying out and saying there's giants and there's giant grapes and you know, there's all this stuff over there. And when they came back, 40 days. So they're supposed to see the promised land, receive the promise, come back, let's go get the promise, right? Instead, 10 of the 12 came back and said, no, this is too big, too big, too We can't do it. Let's get out of here. And God did what with that number 40? He gave them one year of wandering for every day that they were in the land. For 40, 40 days, they spied the land, and for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. So here we are, 70 years, the land should have been resting every seventh year, but he didn't. So these numbers matter, right? So now you're going to be exiled for 70 years. 70 years. Now, and then remember that. That's, Jeremiah has said it. Daniel has read it. Now you can go to page two. Daniel read the prophecy of Jeremiah. And guess what? He accepted the prophecy of Jeremiah as true. He didn't argue about it. He didn't say, well, that's unfair. We, we, some of us observe the Sabbath. No, he just accepted it. It's prophesied. It's true. There's going to be 70 years of captivity because God's justice required it. We broke his law for 490 years. No need to fight against it. It's unstoppable. 70 years Jerusalem will lie desolate. It is written. It is written. It's going to happen. Quit fighting it. Daniel doesn't make excuses <clears throat> regarding the sin that has brought the nation into exile. Daniel doesn't blame it on everyone else. No, Daniel prays a prayer of confession and repentance. Church, in America today, during this pestilence pandemic, this would be such a lesson. Instead of making all the excuses and trying to find every way under the sun to get protection against something that is happening around you that you cannot explain, why don't you do what Daniel did? He prays a prayer of confession and repentance. Here we go, verse 10. We have not obeyed the Lord. 
Is he arguing with God? He's accepting personal responsibility. He's a Jew. We Jews have not obeyed the Lord our God, for we have not followed the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has disobeyed your instructions and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, by the way, they're in the same book that tells you about every seven years. It's in the same book, same instruction. Now, all the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sins. You have kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned. Never has there been such a disaster as has happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. Yet we have refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. Therefore the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all these things, for we did not obey him. Lord, your justice is perfect. This, this 70 years of exile, because of the 490 years of rebellion, your justice is perfect. We accept it. Don't argue with him. Don't try to negotiate. You're right. We're wrong. That's confession and repentance. So Daniel prays, and he confesses. And he repents and he cries out to God. Listen, he says, help us. Okay, we accept your judgment. We are exiles. The temple's gone. Jerusalem's gone. Help us. Here we go. Verse 17. Oh, our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead for your own sake. And this is important. Not because you owe us something. Not because we've confessed and repented and now we're worthy of you paying attention to us. Nope, nope, nope. For your name. For your own namesake. For your own sake, Lord, smile again on your desolate sanctuary. What, what's that mean? Jerusalem. Oh, my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, again, Jerusalem, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, there it is again. For your own sake, do not delay, O oh my God, for your people and your city bear your name. Daniel's not praying against the 70-year exile. Why? Because it is written he's accepting it. He's praying for mercy upon the people and upon something big, upon a future return to Jerusalem. Why? Because he already knows something. And how does he know it? He already knows that this thing's got a beginning and it's got an end. Listen. He knows. How does he know? Jeremiah wrote it. How did Jeremiah know? God said 70 years. He's connecting it to the 490 has now equaled 70. 490 years, David to the exile. 490 years, you should have been laying fallow the land for 70 years. He knows it's got an ending. So he's praying for what's going to happen at the end of the 70. Okay? We're going to finally get to go home. Right? And while Daniel was praying, something happened. Whoa. Something so big that the whole world will be affected by what comes next. A countdown of God is going to be revealed to Daniel in advance. What I call Messianic prophecy number four. Verse 20. I went on praying. And confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. And as I was praying, oh, he's a good prayer. It's not after he was finished praying. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in an earlier vision, came swiftly. If you're going to call for an angel, hope he's a fast one. Okay. He came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He, Gabriel, explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. 
The moment you began praying, a command was given. And now I am here to tell you what it was, for you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. Okay? God is going to do something that only he can do. He's going to open Daniel's mind to understand the scripture. And I want you to get this part. And in this moment, he's making a new scripture. I'm reading it to you. Daniel is scripture. It is the word of God. You understand that up to this point, Daniel was reading the writing of Jeremiah, which he considered the word of God. But Daniel is about to create Daniel chapter 9, which is also the scripture, the word of God. He is reading, he has read Jeremiah's word of God, and Daniel is becoming the word of God in the very same moment. Because that, that's what we're reading. He's going to create a new scripture for future generations to read and understand this messianic countdown. Gabriel said these words to Daniel that day, some 500 years before Jesus was born. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. It is in this scene that God reveals a countdown with such incredible detail that no reasonable person, and I want to put that in italics, no reasonable person would be able to doubt the authority of Scripture. And yet the world is filled with people who doubt the authority of Scripture. But if you are reasonable thinking, if you will think reasonably, and look at the fact that Daniel lived uh, 586 years before Christ, roughly, that's the fall of Jerusalem. And if you read this next section, and you're a reasonable person, you would have to say, this is supernatural. Nobody could, nobody could do that. No, no one could do. Well, I'm going to show you what happens. Listen very carefully to the countdown, because that's what's about to happen. Delivered to Daniel in exile by an angel of God, Gabriel, in swift flight. Verse 24, a period of 70 sets of seven hmm, has been decreed for your people. Who's your people? The Jews. And your holy city, Jerusalem, to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin. What? 70 sets of seven. To put an end to their sin, to finish their rebellion, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint, uh oh, the most holy place. You're going to need to pay attention and probably write notes from this point forward. First, Gabriel reveals to Daniel that God has established a specific period of time for the Jewish people and Jerusalem. Seventy sets of seven. Four hundred and ninety. Now, the reason I made such a big deal before as to why they're even in Babylon for 70 years is these numbers matter. They matter. Seventy sets of seven. This announcement of God is specific to the Jews. You, when you read this, you have to understand, this is specific to Daniel and Daniel's people and the holy city. So, it is specific to the Jewish people. It is specific to Israel, mainly Jerusalem. This 490 years is clearly limited, limited to the period of time when the people of Israel possess and occupy the holy city of Jerusalem. If you take this key out, you, none of it will make sense to you. So when he gives this 490 year decree, it is based upon the fact that it will be only counted during a time in which the Jewish people are in occupying Jerusalem. So let me give you an example. When he gets this, are they? No. They're in Babylon. You understand how important this is? You've got to understand. But at the end of 70 years, they'll come back. 
something will happen. Stay with me. In other words, this prophecy has no effect if the Jews don't occupy Jerusalem. This prophecy will have no meaning if all they ever stay is in Babylon and then never come back. Right? For example, this prophecy could not apply, could not apply to the Jews after Jerusalem fell in 70 AD. So let's fast forward way, uh, some 600 years after the fall of the Jerusalem temple, 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar. So there was another fall of Jerusalem, 70 AD, after the time of Christ. It could not apply to them in 70 AD up till they took possession again in 1967, my generation. Why? <clears throat> because the Jews didn't occupy Jerusalem from 70 AD till 1967. They weren't there. They were run out. So we're not talking about that period, you see? So you can't count that period. So it has to be a different period. The timetable was established by God. The countdown will begin with a certain event. <clears throat> Gabriel then reveals six specific goals that God will accomplish during the 490 years. He doesn't just give them a countdown. He says there's six things that must happen inside the 490-year countdown. So I'm going to read verse 24 again. A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. The first three goals, I'm going to break them in two categories. The first three goals have to do with God's plan of redemption. What are the first three? During the 490 years, to finish or put an end to Israel's rebellion. Okay? He's going to do something to put an end to Israel's rebellion. To put an end to sin. Whoa, now that would be big. Number three, to atone for wickedness. Now we're getting to figure out how he's going to do it. Notice again, to put, to finish or put an end to Israel's rebellion, to put an end to sin, and to atone for wickedness, to pay off wickedness. Notice that all three of these God-revealed goals inside 490 years have to do with the issue of sin. Pay close attention here. All three of these goals were, were perfectly met with the first coming of Jesus Christ. So it's important that you understand that the first three, you could easily say, okay, let's just look at them. Did Jesus accomplish these? Did to finish or put an end to Israel's rebellion? To, to put an end for sin. Can you see how Jesus, his first coming could accomplish these, their rebellion, the sin, the wickedness. He came to his own, his own received him not. To his many who have received him, he gives the right to be called the children of God. He dies for the sin. He is the atoning sacrifice. So, I'm going to put it all together in a few minutes. Hold, stay with me. The next three. God-revealed goals deal with the final hope of all mankind, not just the Jewish people. So we've got the first three he fulfilled in his first coming. But where are the Gentiles? Where are the nations in the Abrahamic covenant? So the next three begin with to bring everlasting righteousness, to confirm a prophetic vision to seal up or complete the vision of prophecy that he had given to Daniel and to anoint the most holy place. The next three. What does this specifically mean to bring everlasting righteousness? It would be hard to say that that was accomplished in the first coming of Christ. This specifically refers to a coming kingdom of God. Jesus' return as king. What you and I pray for when we pray the Lord's Prayer. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what about to confirm a prophetic vision? It means to complete or fulfill the messianic prophetic vision of Daniel. And we'll get into that in a moment. This means that all six prophetic announcements 
must be fulfilled inside this 490 years. Now, you're going to struggle right now with me saying that. All six of these need to come inside 490. Well, you say, well, it's been way more than 490 years since Daniel. Stay with me. The final and ultimate goal of these six prophetic announcements was what? To anoint the most holy place. That was it. Did you catch it? They all led up to and to anoint the most holy place. This is a specific reference to the temple in Jerusalem, which at the time of Daniel was what? Gone. It's gone. It's set on fire. It's burnt down. So what would you conclude by that for us today? There must be a temple in Jerusalem for this 490-year prophecy to be true and fulfilled. Let that sink in for a moment. For this to be, for, to anoint the most holy place. Read the scripture. We're talking about a temple in Jerusalem. The one that was destroyed in the time of Daniel was destroyed again in 70 AD. There must be a temple in Jerusalem for this 490 year prophecy to be true, if it is, and to be fulfilled, if it will be. So you and I could say this is a future event. At the end of this 490 year prophecy, the problem of human sin would be solved. And a full and complete plan of salvation would have been implemented by God. Inside of 490 years? How is that possible? Because that would leave us out, right? Because 490 was done a long time ago. All were fulfilled by Jesus' first coming, the cross of Calvary. But there is one more set of sevens, one more set of dates inside this messianic prophecy announcement from Gabriel. Next verse, verse 25. This is when it gets really interesting. Now listen and understand. This is the very next verse. Listen and understand, seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven. Notice the word plus. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the, <clears throat> the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem. There's your first hint. Until a ruler... The anointed one comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. Now, Daniel is in Babylon during this, right? Gabriel is revealing a starting point to the 490-year countdown. This is what makes it so incredible. Gabriel is going to tell Daniel what will start the countdown of 490 years. Do you see it? Seven sets of seven are 49 years. Are you with me? I hope you're keeping notes. 62 sets of seven are 434 years. Now, some of you math wizards are going to say, well, wait a minute. That doesn't equal 490, does it? That equals 483 I'm seven years short. And maybe some of you are already seeing it. I'm seven years short. Hmm. So I got <clears throat> seven sets of seven, 49. I got 62 sets of seven, 434. If you add them together, I got 483 years. So where's the starting point? Okay, you got my attention. Where's the starting point in all this 490-year countdown? And where does 49 and three, 434 fit after it starts? Remember, Daniel is in exile and Jerusalem is in ruins during this Gabriel visit. The Old Testament book of Ezra and Nehemiah both 
record decrees, both record decrees from the then Persian king for the Jerusalem temple to be rebuilt. According to Nehemiah chapter 2, you can look it up. The decree to rebuild Jerusalem was issued da, 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 in the 20th year of the reign of Artaxerxes. We know that that to be 445 B.C. He's going to issue a decree to rebuild. Now, Artaxerxes... 445 B.C. is going to issue a decree for, the, for Jerusalem to be rebuilt. Okay? Now go back up and read verse 25 right above that again. Let's go back up and read that again. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time, from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem. You can start the clock. Until a ruler, what's the end of the clock? Until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. What starts the clock? A command to rebuild Jerusalem. 445 B.C., Nehemiah chapter 2, Artaxerxes issued a decree. This decree from the Persian king Artaxerxes in 445 B.C. became the starting point to the 490-year countdown. But what about the seven sets of seven or the 49 years? I want you to think about it for, for, before I tell you. Just think about it. Obviously, he broke out that 49 for a purpose. So he's issued the decree, Artaxerxes has issued a decree that Jews are going to return. They're not just going to build a temple, they're going to return to Israel and they're going to build the temple. So they're coming back and the temple's going to be rebuilt. Where's the 49 years? What's going to happen during the 49? We got a 49, we got a 483, we got a 490, and there's seven seems to be hidden in there. During that 49 years, after the 445 B.C. decree, the city of Jerusalem was rebuilt with the authority and the backing and the financing of the Persian king. The first 49 years, what were they? They were the return and the construction. Are you with me? It was the return and the rebuilding. 49 years were dedicated to the return and the rebuilding of Jerusalem. But what about, is everybody okay with that one so far? If you're not, I'm sorry, I can't deal with you. <laughs> but what about the 62 sets of seven or the 434? Stay with me. Add 49 to the 434 and you get 483. So we've got 49 years from Artaxerxes' decree to rebuild. 49 years, they come back. The Jews are returning, right? They're coming back. They're rebuilding the gates, the walls. And then 430 years back in the land. So then after they've come back, they're not exiled. There are 434 years they're back in the land. This is big because of what I say earlier. You can't use any of the prophetic numbers to count if the Jews aren't in the land. But they're in the land now, right? They're back in the land. There's not huge numbers of them, but they're back in the land. Now, if you were in one of my classes a few years ago, remember that study I did called 400 Years of Silence? You know, from the book of Malachi to the Gospels, there's about 400 years. We call it the years of prophetic silence when God doesn't, he doesn't speak. It's not recorded. Inside that 434 is 400 years of silence. But understand, they're back in the land. They're back in the land. They have rebuilt the city. Now, yes, the, the, the governments of the world have changed. The, the, the Babylonians have gone to the Medo-Persians. The Medo-Persians have gone to the Greeks. And the Greeks have now gone to the Romans. Okay, there's government changes. But they're in the land. They haven't been exiled from the land. So the count still counts because they're still there. So what happens after the... So you got 49 years. We're dealing with that one. 
That's the rebuilding. You got 434, they're back in the land, resettling, growing, having kids and growing population. But what happens after the 483 years Persian king decree to rebuild Jerusalem? So we've added 434 and 49. What happens at the end of that? Let's repeat verse 25 one more time. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time. So 49 and 434 are going to pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem by Xerxes until something happens. What's the, all this about? What's at the end? Until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. 483 years after the decree of Artaxerxes, a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Messiah comes. Do I have to tell anybody in this room tonight who the anointed one is? Here's the amazing part of this. Exactly 483 years after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem was issued by the Persian king, Messiah would come and appear to the people of Israel. 483 years to the exact month. Yes, the exact month. And do you know what happened in Jerusalem on, four, on the 483rd year anniversary of the Persian king's decree to rebuild Jerusalem? More than 500 years after Gabriel's revelation to Daniel, what happened? It was Palm Sunday. Nisan, that's their calendar. April, A.D., 32, 483 years to the month, the countdown. When Jesus walked into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he was fulfilling the 483-year countdown of God revealed to Daniel. What was the countdown? Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Did the people of Israel that day see it? Did they see Jesus as the 483-year countdown grand finale? Let's have a party. Did they? You say, well, it was a big event on Palm Sunday. They did bow down to him, kind of this prophetic event. They said, Hosanna, which is what you would say to a king. They bowed down through palm branches on the ground. But did they really see him for who he was? No. This is what Jesus said on, listen, this is what even makes it more powerful. On that day, do you think he knows he is the prophetic fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy? Yes, he knows. In fact, the scripture says that at that point, he knew everything. When he comes into Jerusalem on that last week, he knew everything. It had all been revealed to him. He knew that he had come from God and was returning from, to God. And he knew that his plan of God, he knew he was the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. And here's what happens on that day. 483 years after Artaxerxes decree to rebuild Jerusalem and announcing a ruler, the anointed one would come. Luke 19, 41. But as they came closer to Jerusalem and Jesus saw the city ahead, he began to weep. Why do you think he's crying? Everybody, I want you to think about why is he crying? Because he knows that they don't know. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way of peace. But now it's too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, now, he, now Jesus is going to become prophesying himself. Here it is. Listen carefully because this is really important to the next scene. Because it's too late. I need to say that. It's too late. You can't see peace is hidden from your eyes. 
And because of that sentence, it's too late. Y'all think it's never too late? In this scene, it's too late. Okay? Everybody wake up. It's too late. Peace is hidden. You will not see. They did not see. And because of that, verse 43, before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. And I'll give you a hint. What he just said will be the final portion of Daniel 9's prophecy. He just said it. You think they're not connected? What he just said is the next part of Daniel 9's prophecy. You think he's not the fulfillment? Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close you in from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place. Why? Because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation. Jesus is, was the literal fulfillment of Daniel chapter 9's prophetic countdown. They couldn't see. Their eyes weren't open to understand the scriptures, to see the messianic countdown. Many cried out, Hosanna on Sunday, but their cry on Friday was crucify him. Can you see it today? It's a question. It'd be one thing to just spend this entire session tonight looking at ancient biblical history and say, wow, that's cool. But the real question is, can we see? Can we? Can you see the power of the Bible? Can you see the absolute power of scriptures, the sovereign authority of the words in this book? They're powerful. It was all written down. So when you look at them and say, what's the matter with you people? Why couldn't you see him? It was all written down. Didn't you read Daniel? Daniel had kept such a perfect record. And all the people in that day had a copy. The, the Jewish leaders, they had copies of the Daniel prophecy. Can you see it today? It's all written down for us. And by the way, we've all got copies. Can you see it? Some of you who are really good at math are going to say, hey, hey, preacher, that's only 483 years. And you said the prophecy was 490 years. You are correct. Where'd the seven years go? Well, I am glad you asked. There are two more verses in Daniel's Messianic prophecy. And guess what they are? Seven years. And before I read them, I want to say it one more time. Jesus announces that something's going to come because you didn't see. In a little while, what's his wording here? He says, um, before long, your enemies will build ramparts. So he already knew that something was about to happen even then because they couldn't see him. <clears throat> Let's go to Daniel 9.26. What are we doing? We're searching for that number seven. We're at 483. The number is 490. If you haven't gotten so far and understood how important that 490 is, it's a countdown. But there's seven missing. Hmm. After this, now I'm reading the next verse from the Daniel prophecy. What, what is after what? After the anointed one comes, right? After this. After this period of 62 sets of seven. <clears throat> Excuse me. After this period of 62 sets of seven. There's that 434. We've already dealt with the 49. That was the rebuilding. But after this set of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed. Now he's come. That was Palm Sunday. He will be killed. That's the cross. Appearing to have accomplished nothing. Mm. And a ruler. What will happen right after he's killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing? And a ruler will arise. Jesus already told you about it just a moment ago. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood and war and its miseries are decreed from that time. That time. We've got a ruler coming. He'll die. 
It'll look like he did nothing. And then another ruler will come and destroy Jerusalem. The end will come with the flood and war and its miseries are decreed from that time, from that time to the very end. The ruler will make a treaty. Now, now we're at the end, okay? From that time to the end. The ruler, now who is this one? The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. There's the missing seven. There's a ruler, the time of the very end, there's a ruler that will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven, but after half this time, that'd be three and a half years, after half this time, he'll put an end to the sacrifices and the offerings, which tells you something. The Jews are not going to do sacrifices and offerings unless there's a temple. And they're only going to do it in Jerusalem. So that tells you that we're talking about a time that the temple will be rebuilt. But it was torn down in 70 AD. Verse 27, let me go back. The ruler... Who is he? We'll make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven, but after half of the time, he will put an end to the sacrifices in the temple and the offerings in the temple. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. After 434 years... 430 year, 434 years after the temple is rebuilt. You've got to put the 49 years in there is what it took to regather and rebuild. The anointed one will be killed. That's the cross of Christ. Appearing to have accomplished nothing. The Jews didn't believe he was the Messiah. It appeared to accomplish nothing. A ruler will arise. Are you with me? The Roman ruler named Titus, Jesus told them that day on Palm Sunday that he was coming. He's going to build ramparts against your city and he's going to crush you. A ruler will arise. The Roman ruler named Titus and he destroyed the Jerusalem temple that had been rebuilt during the prophetic countdown. It's all gone. In 70 AD... Just like Daniel prophesied, just like Jesus reiterated, it's all gone. And it appeared, here, it appeared to have accomplished nothing. In 70 AD, the Jews were all gone. It's called the dysphoria. That's what they call it. The great dispersion. It happened again. It happened in the time of Babylon. The Persian king let them come back. There's, there's this, what, 430-something years, almost, uh, almost uh, 434 years, 480 years maybe in there, that they're back in the land. And then here comes Titus, and Titus does what? He disperses them again. They're gone. The temple's gone. The Jews are gone. The land is desolate. The desolate sanctuary. And Jesus is dead. Appears to have accomplished nothing. But here's the question tonight. If it accomplished nothing, why are we talking about this tonight? And why are there churches all over the earth today? If you've been to these sessions, this next part will answer the question. The children of the desolate woman will be more than the woman who lived with her husband. Do you remember? It was the promise, Abrahamic promise. The children of the desolate woman, Sarah, who could not have children, will be more than the children of the woman who was, lived with her husband, Hagar, living with Abraham. How? The church. The church. In 70 AD, there was a dispersion. Even before that, there was a rejection of the Jewish Messiah by the Jewish people. 
in Romans 9, 10, and 11, he says that because their rejection opened up a window of opportunity for the, Jew, for the Gentiles to come to Christ. You and I are living inside that window. The children of the desolate woman will be more than the children of the woman who lived with her husband. How? Because the Jews are now going to be followed by the Gentiles who received the Jewish Messiah that they rejected. When? In the church age. You're in it. I'm going to show it to you. You're in it. But what about those seven years? I'm going to tell you today something very clearly. This Messianic prophecy number four is not finished. It is not done. And I'm going to tell you, it absolutely is going to be fulfilled. I believe we are now in a wait-a-minute moment of God called the church age. The time between the 483 and the final seven, which will be the seven-year tribulation. There will be a ruler that will arise, and he will sign an agreement with the people of Israel. And that signature, that signing ceremony will usher in seven years of the great tribulation. It's recorded. It will happen. I don't know when. My personal opinion is that will not happen until the church is taken out of the way. The time of the Gentile harvest is drawing near, and I'm going to show you why I say that. It's been some 2,000 years now, and the church is still here. We're still waiting. 2,000 years. That's a long time. There were about 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham. Listen carefully. From Adam to Abraham, study the genealogical record in the Scripture. It's about 2,000 years. There's about 2,000 years from Abraham to Jesus. And here we are. It's been about 2,000 years from Jesus to today. 2,000, 2,000, 2,000. Interesting, isn't it? If you study the Jewish calendar, which is so stories about the Jewish everything, if you study the Jewish calendar, this is Jewish year 5,782. Do you know that? This is not 2021 on their calendar. It's 5,782. Now, let me explain something to you, that the Orthodox Jewish people believe everything surrounds this six and one. God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. And if a day unto the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day, how many days has it been in the Jewish calendar before there will be a thousand years of rest? When the calendar hits 6,000, I'm talking about Messianic uh, Jewish, uh, Orthodox Jewish teaching. When the calendar reaches its number 6,000, it will have equaled the six days of God's creation, ushering in the 1,000 year, which will be the Sabbath rest upon the earth when everything is finished. Now, you and I know that Jesus himself said that he will reign on this earth for 1,000 years. Now, here's the catch. I told you it's Jewish year 5,782. Perry and I were backstage and we're both praying that their numbering system's off. They're not sure when the count began in their own numbering system. Because of the Holocaust, because of the dispersions, because of all the things the Jewish people have gone through, there is much controversy about the countdown. But there is no controversy about this. The entire exile was around the number 490, and the number 490 was based upon the Sabbath rest of God's law. They spent 70 years in Babylon. Why? Because to make up for what they didn't do according to the law. And then God uses the same 490, the same number, 490, to announce the end of time. Coincidence? No. 2,000 from Adam to Abraham, 2,000 from Abraham to Jesus, 2,000 from Jesus to today. We got six, that we're nearing 6,000 years of Jewish history from the creation of the world. And then what if, what if that, that when it hits number 6,000 from then to 7,000 will be the Sabbath of God. When 
he will rest and Messiah will come. And they, he said, will reign with him for 1,000 years. Anybody see a plan here? That's the whole point. It is written. It's a plan. The Gospel of Matthew opens with a specific genealogical record from Adam, excuse me, Abraham to Jesus. I want you to notice it. Matthew 1.17. And those listed above, and that's all those genealogies, include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. From David to the Babylonian exile is the 490 years. It's in here. It's listed. It's the reason for all the other numbers. And Matthew records it in his genealogy. I believe the final seven in the 490-year countdown is coming soon. And this is how Jesus describes the seven years. And by the way, Jesus quotes, Jesus quotes Daniel's 500-year-old prophecy. He quotes it. What's that tell you about Daniel's prophecy? Jesus says this, Mark 13, 14. The day is coming when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing where it should not be. Does everybody get it? A day is coming, a sacrilegious object that causes desecration or desolation standing where it should not be. What is it? What is it? It's in a rebuilt temple where the Antichrist who will be ruling on the earth will set up a statue that everyone will have to bow to and pledge their allegiance to in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. The day is coming. It's a future event. I got a sermon coming in a few weeks in which I'm going to deal with this issue. It's a future event. It's not something that took place back in Antiochus Epiphanes. It's impossible. Jesus says the day's coming. Antiochus Epiphanes is before Christ, not after Christ. Reader, pay attention. I didn't say it. He did. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of the roof must not go down to the house and pack. You know what he's saying? When this happens, run. Run. A person out in the field must not return to even get his coat. How terrible it'll be for pregnant women or nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter. For there will be greater anguish in those days than any time since God created the world. It'll never be so great again. In fact, unless the Lord shortens that time of calamity, not a single person will survive on the earth. But for the sake of his chosen, I believe that is a direct reference to Israel, not the church. But for the sake of his chosen, he has shortened those days. He limited them to seven years. I remember this next sentence I said to an empty room on April 26, 2020, over the camera. I said, if you believed any part of this messianic prophecy today, you would fall on your face before God in repentance. And I say it again tonight. If you believed any part of this, you would fall on your face before God. Why? You're in the countdown. I'm in the countdown. You know when the countdown ends? In Romans chapter 11, he tells us when it'll end. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you Gentiles, he's talking about Gentiles in the church, us, us, so that you Gentiles will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, yes, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ and the door's going to close. You're in the countdown. Next week, we're going to deal with Isaiah 61. I call it the ministry. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, and He has anointed me to come and preach to the poor. It's the ministry of Christ, all spelled out 750 years in advance to the prophet Isaiah about the coming Messiah. One last piece of information. I was asked that... Uh, Back during COVID, the church had bought 30, the women's group was going to take 30 women to a Shonda Pierce concert. That all got canceled. They have just suddenly opened it back up, and it's too short for anybody to plan it. So, 
If any of you all want free tickets to a Shonda Pierce concert, you have to see Scott Shepard. Please don't hurt him. And it's at the Richmond. It's Friday night in Richmond, Kentucky. And if you all want to find him, the tickets are free. She's a Christian comedian lady. And he asked me to tell you, so I just told you. Let's pray. Father, you didn't have to give us a countdown. You could come like a thief in the night. But you wanted us to know. So we'd be ready. And you wouldn't be like a thief in the night. For we won't be caught off guard on that day. For we're children of the day. Children of the light. Because your word is the day and your word is the light. And you have spoken to us tonight. And you have warned us tonight to prepare our hearts. To make ready for the king that is coming. And for, to escape the horror that will be on the earth for those who are not ready. So Lord, I pray for your church. Awaken your bride. Put oil on our lamps. Make us ready for that day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.